This morning we continue with our exposition from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 to 22. I'm going to read the whole chapter but then we are going to consider verses 19 to 22. This is the inspired infallible word of God. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I'm going to pray. And then we are going to consider verse 19 to verse 22. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you. And this morning is a, is a blessed morning because we have an opportunity to hear your word. We pray that as we sit here, as we listen to the preaching of your word, that you may grant us eagerness. Grant us a hunger and thirst for your word that our attention would be captured, that we would be captivated by the work of Christ. We would be encouraged through the reminder that we are yours and um, you are ours. Help me as I communicate to communicate as one who believes that the grass with us the flowers fade, but the word of God endureth forever. Help all of us, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit to have, uh, uh, to have us bear fruit from hearing your word preached hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold to the praise and glory of your name. Please hear us now, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been considering uh, this book, this letter that has been written to the Ephesians. 
we have managed to finish chapter one and, and this morning lord willing we will be able to finish the second chapter and we continue to receive these indicatives uh, doctrine upon doctrine especially of what christ has done what god has done through his son the lord jesus christ by the power of his holy spirit look with me at the text before us verse 19 to verse 22 we read so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens with the saints members of the household of god built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the lord in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for god by the spirit now we have managed to 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 see to progressively see the work that god is doing being dead in our trespasses we could not save ourselves we were following the course of the world we were dead in the sins in which he once walked we were following the prince of the power of the air the devil and his suggestions we were yielding to him we were uh, uh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind uh, yielding to our own passions we are told there that we were by nature children of wrath and the apostle paul makes it clear that everyone is guilty everyone is filthy before god on judgment day is where everyone will be and because no one is good and no one is righteous all of us are children of wrath so he tells the ephesians you are children of wrath like the rest of mankind everyone because of their guilt and then he comes and gives us the good news he says look at what god has done being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses even when we were when we were following our own flesh the world and the devil even then when we were walking in our sins he made us alive together with christ he saved us by his grace he raised us up he seated us with christ in the heavenly places he's given us all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in christ jesus he reminds us that god has saved us by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone to the glory of his name to the praise of his glorious grace and then he reminds the ephesians that they were alienated because because of being gentile they were alienated from the commonwealth of israel they were separated from christ they were strangers to the covenants of promise. And then he tells them that Christ is the one that has brought you near. Christ is the one that has saved you. Christ is the one that has made you one, both Jew and Gentile. Christ is the one that has reconciled us to God. Christ is our everything. Christ is our all in all. That reconciliation uh, uh, to God is through Jesus Christ. And that's where now we find ourselves from verse 19 after being told that we have access to god the father through god the son by the power of god the holy spirit we find ourselves now in verse 19 there and i'd like you to <clears throat> consider with me first before we look at those verses what people think the church is now, many people believe they are Christians because they go to church, in quotes. They, they, they go to a particular place uh, where there are other people meeting and because of that, then they think themselves to be Christians. Now, now, think with me for a moment. The widespread view of what people think the church is. Some think the church is a building. Uh, some think uh, the church is everyone who gathers for worship on Sundays or on Saturday or whenever they do. Some think that the church is what? Is the heart of man. Kanisa ni roe yako. 
And, and there are all sorts of views about what the church is. I'd like to submit to you this morning that the church is the household of God, which is the title of the sermon today. The church is the household of God. The church is not, is not this tent. The, 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 the church is not uh, in your heart. The, the church is not any other conceivable idea that men may have. The church is the household of God. That's what I'd like us to see from the text before us. I'd like you to see that the church is the household of God because of three reasons. Or in three reasons. The church is the household of God, number one, in its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. In its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. From verse 19. Number two, the church is the household of God in its core or foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ. In its core or foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ. From verse, verse 20 to 21. And then lastly, the church is the household of God in its being preserved by God in Christ. It's being preserved by God in Christ. From verse 22. So the church is the household of God in its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. The church is the household of God in its core or foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is the household of God in its being preserved by God in Christ. Number one, the church is the household of God in its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. Look with me at verse 19. We read there, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And that, that, that's why we get that term, the household of God. I'd like you to notice the consistency in the context because in verse 12 we read, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. So use the, the same word down there. Strangers to the covenants of promise. And then now he says here in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens. There is no hostility. You who were once far off have been brought near. So then, you are no longer strangers. Our Lord Jesus Christ is, is the great reconciler. He is the mediator between God and man. He is the one who brings us near. He is the only mediator. He has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to God <clears throat> through his suffering on the cross. And both have their access in one spirit to the Father. That's what we have there in verse 18. We read, for through him, through Jesus Christ, this great reconciler, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we see there that because of this then, there is, uh, there is no enmity. There should, be, there should be no enmity between the two groups. There should be no enmity between uh, uh, the Jew and the Gentile. There should be no enmity between you and God because of the great reconciler, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no enmity between, uh, between us now. God is our friend as opposed to being our enemy. The Gentiles in that case, uh, in this case being Ephesians, are told there that they are no longer strangers and aliens. But what are they? They are, um, they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now, those who were Gentiles in the Ephesian church had been strangers. That's what we have it there in verse 12. They were citizens of another country, as it were. Um, but this ought not to be the case any longer. This, this shouldn't be the case. Now, even for you and for me, when we are in Christ, this is no longer the case. And then we are told there that <clears throat> they are not foreigners anymore. They are fellow citizens. The Gentiles are not, are not even to be thought of as aliens. The text tells us. It says there that 
they are no longer strangers and aliens. We are told there that they are fellow citizens. You know, so, so they are no, they are no longer strangers, they are fellow citizens. They are no longer aliens, they are fellow citizens. The saints are, uh, are those who are the people of God. When he says, when he says um, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints, you are being told there that um, uh, you are now part of the people of God. If you are in Christ, if you've been reconciled to God through Christ, you are part of the people of God. Those whom God has set apart for himself, a people for, for his own possession, as, they, as, as, as the scriptures tell us. The church, the church is not to be divided into classes. You know, first class Christians for the Jews who have converted and second class Christians for the Gentiles who have converted. The text there tells us that the Gentiles are no longer strangers. They are no longer aliens. They are fellow citizens with the saints. They are members of the household of God. The terms of admission are the same for all. That's what we, we've seen a couple of weeks ago. That the Jews are saved in the same way the Gentiles are saved. Be because the Jews are near, so to speak, in the language of the Apostle, that doesn't mean that they, are, they have any benefit. They are brought near by Christ. It is Christ who is of utmost benefit. So the Gentiles are brought near through Christ. The Jews are brought near through Christ. The terms of admission are the same. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A faith working through love. Which is what we have there in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6. You are brought near by Christ. You are given faith to believe in Him. That's what we are told there in verse, chapter 2 verse 9. That, that, that this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. We are saved by grace through faith. The terms of admission are the same and the rank is the same. There are no, again, first class Christians, second, second class Christians because you are a Jew and then second class because you are a Gentile. The rank is the same. The standing is the same. There are no special saints. The apostle says says there that the Gentiles now become fellow citizens. And you see th th those words fellow citizens show that the rank is the same. They are fellow citizens with the saints. They are members of the household of God. They are part and parcel of the people of God. They have been justified by faith and then God has adopted them also. Those who have received Christ they have been adopted into the family of God. They have been given the right to cry out to God, Abba, Father. The same with the other saints. The same with the other children. They become part of the family. They become brothers and sisters now. So that those who are able to call God Father are those who are in Christ. Whether they be Jew or they be Gentile. I'd like you to notice from the text there that Christians... Are saints. Christians are saints. And along with many places where the apostle, uh, the apostle Paul begins his letter, letters by uh, calling Christians saints, this is one of the parts that he calls believers saints. Away with the notion that there are special Christians who are saints and others who are on their way to becoming saints. All of us who have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ are the children of God and therefore we are saints. So we are told there that you are no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So uh, it's important for us to notice that that all believers, all who have been reconciled to God through Christ, all who are far off that have been brought near, all who are, all who are near that have been saved by Christ, all of us are saints. I'd like you to notice there also that the household belongs to God. We read there, Again, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of 
the household of God. This household is not ours. We are but members of it. The household belongs to God. He is the king. He is the only sovereign. He is the Lord. He is the one who governs. You are going to see this in the next, uh, the next section. He is the one who determines what is to be done, how we are to live, how we are to conduct ourselves. It is the household of God. We cannot come up with new ways of doing church. The church is the household of God in its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. Now this household has, has particular rules and uh, particular ways of carrying out ourselves. We, we do not determine for ourselves what we are going to do. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 3 from verse 14. We read this. 1 Timothy 3, 14. I hope to come to you, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. The church is the household of God. The household of God is governed by God himself through the means of the scriptures as he has, as he has given us so that we may know how we are to conduct ourselves. And, and therefore the Apostle Paul, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, I am writing things to you. I am penning down something for you so that if I delay from coming... You may know how you are to conduct yourself. Because this house belongs to God. God is the one who determines how we walk in it. And so the church is the household of God in its incorporation of both Jew and Gentile. We, we who are Gentiles are brought in. The Jews are brought in. We, we, we are brought in by Christ. He reconciles us to his Father by his Spirit. The regenerating work of his Holy Spirit. Number two, the church is the household of God in its core or foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ. In its core and foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ from verse 20 to 21. Now, <clears throat> like you to notice that the way I've, I've structured these points is, 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 is as though to say the church is the household of God as far as it incorporates both Jew and Gentile. As far as Jesus Christ is the core, the foundation. And so, and so I'm just saying that so that we may be able to understand uh, what you're talking about. And so the church is the household of God as far as Jesus Christ is its core. So that where you have a church that does not incorporate all men and women, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. That's not a true church of Jesus Christ. Where there are segregations. And if it is, they should be exhorted. They should be told, this is how the church of God, uh, the church that Jesus Christ redeemed by his blood ought to look like. And it's the same with this second point. If, if Jesus Christ is not the foundation, is, is not the core of the church, that church is, is not a church. It's not a household of God. It's not the dwelling place of God as we're going to see um, in the last verse there. Look with me at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now you may be wondering why I call Christ the foundation or the core of the household when the text tells us that this household has been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But I'd like, I'd like for you to consider that, that without Christ, there is no church. Without Christ, there is no foundation. There is no building. There is no household. Whoever the apostles may be, if Christ is not there, there is no household. And so there's a sense in which Christ is the actual foundation. 
Now go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Those are the only two texts that I will tell you to turn to. 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is talking about divisions in the church. And and, 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 and uh, in verse 5 he says there, um, so, so he's already told them that they are divided. Let's, let's read from verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and, 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 and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, the point I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm driving to, I'm trying to make is, Paul is making the argument that uh, himself, Apollos, or whoever it may be, they are of no importance apart from Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Now you're able to follow now, as I read this to you, that Paul is saying, Apollos is nothing. He is nothing. They are only servants because of Christ, because the Lord assigned to them the task that they have. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now, thus far, we are able to see that the apostles and the prophets now included in Ephesians are but fellow servants. They're, they're, they're simply working for Christ. They're there because he is there. And if he would not be there, they wouldn't be there. And so there's a sense in which they are the foundation by extension. Because they are the apostles of Christ. Because they are the prophets of Christ. Verse 10. Still in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid the foundation. Follow closely for you to be able to get this. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Verse 11. Is my... My, is where I would like you to uh, pay careful attention. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. So that when, when he says in Ephesians, uh, the church has been built, or the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, he's saying it is because they are the apostles and the prophets of Jesus Christ. And then he says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood and hair and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And so then he continues to say, to speak about the work that they are doing as the servants of Christ. So I submit to you that the apostles and the prophets being the foundation is only as far as they were proclaiming Christ. And that is the sense that the apostle is now giving us here in Ephesians chapter 2. That as far as they are, they are the apostles of Christ, the prophets of Christ, then they are the foundation. Because Christ is himself the foundation. Now when he calls Christ the cornerstone, you see there, it says built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, when he calls him the cornerstone, that part of the foundation 
uh, and indeed the, the, that part of the building which it cannot do without then it brings the point home that Christ is the foundation you realize that without that cornerstone the foundation will be shaky it's as though the building doesn't have a foundation even so he says Jesus Christ is that cornerstone he's the one that holds together the building even the foundation he is the core of this household he is he's at the epicenter of the church the household of God now because the apostles are the apostles of Christ then they be, they can be called the foundation because the prophets are the prophets of 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 God they can be called the foundation because the apostles proclaim no one else but Christ then they can be they can be referred to as the foundation William Hendrickson says here quote the joy the joyful testimony made by the apostles and prophets in confirmation of the very fact that the basic or primary foundation is Christ makes it possible that in a secondary sense they too can be called the church's foundation end quote and so the apostles and the prophets are called the foundation insofar as they are the apostles and the prophets of, of Christ but then there is another sense in which the apostles and the prophets are the foundation they communicate to us the very words of God and that's what we've seen um, there in first Timothy chapter 3 is is, is is telling Timothy I'm writing these things to you just in case I don't come so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God the apostles and the prophets speak to us the very words of God they tell us thus saith the Lord and therefore we have their writings about the oracles of God in Holy Scripture and so this is this is the other sense in which they are the foundation uh, the foundation of the church by giving to us the Word of God now this is very this is very important and it's an important point because it is here that we differ with the charismatic movement the, the new apostolic movement both of which claim that we can have apostles and prophets today we do not believe that we can have apostles and prophets today because the apostles and the prophets have been given to us they are the foundation they have communicated to us the word of god which we have so we have the apostles and the prophets here and so then we we are satisfied with them the word of god is sufficient for us the foundation has already been laid and we have no need to continue laying a foundation and so the text clearly tells us that they were the foundation and we know that therefore a foundation is laid once once it's laid once right it's, it's not laid many times it can only be laid once we have the apostles and the prophets given to us by god in the word of god and they are enough just as we have christ who is the cornerstone given to us by God he is the mediator and he is enough in that same way we have the apostles and the prophets who are the foundation of the church and they are enough now when the apostle Paul says that Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone I'd like us to hear in those words the consistency of the word of God look at me there again Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And, and this was a very important because they are consistent with the rest of the scriptures. The apostle Peter says the same thing in Acts chapter 4 verse 11, which reads, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone now peter mentions this again in his first letter first peter chapter 2 verse 7 which actually is quoting the psalms psalm 118 verse 22 which says the stones that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone isaiah says the same thing it says this in isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 therefore thus says that, that says the Lord God behold I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone a tested stone a precious cornerstone 
And we hear that we hear that language there in the prophet of a sure foundation. So he says, This is what God says, Isaiah tells us. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And thus we have here consistency with the the whole of holy writ, the word of God. This is the consistent language of scripture. So that when the Apostle Paul says there that uh, there in Ephesians that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, anyone who reads their Bible properly will be able to relate with that language. It's not it's not a foreign language. Now the cornerstone of a building, in addition to being part of the foundation, and, and therefore the supporting uh, the supporting agent in, in that structure that cornerstone finalizes its shape for being placed at the corner formed by the junction of two primary walls it determines uh, the lay of the walls that cornerstone determines how the walls are going to go up and that's very important because of the message that the apostle paul is trying to communicate the stones that come after must adjust themselves to the cornerstone they must follow the, the cornerstone as it were so also in addition to resting in Christ through faith, as we believe upon him, put our trust in him, depend on him, um, the character of the household is determined by Christ. So Jesus is the author of our faith and he is the perfecter of our faith. In him being the cornerstone is that uh, attribute of him being both author and perfecter because when he is the cornerstone he's the one that determines the way the structure will be because he is the cornerstone he's the one that determines how the walls will go up and so this is very important so we, we we put our faith in him but then our character is also governed by him after we have been saved Jesus Christ being the core, the foundation of the household, determines the functions that it takes in God's created world. So the functions that God, uh, God's church, God's household takes in this world, Jesus Christ is the one that determines. He's the one who gives direction to the household. The way the walls will go up are determined by the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, he's the one who gives direction to us who are the living stones. And you hear that language in, 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 in the letter, the, the first letter of Peter. Believers in Jesus Christ are the living stones. You have it there in First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And so, and so being the living stones, they are governed by the cornerstone. Their conduct, their lives must be in accord, accordance with the will of their Lord, Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone. Now, the, ho the household must be all about the cornerstone, my brethren. If you're going to be a church of Christ, we must be all about him who is the cornerstone. The church is the household of God um, in its core being Christ. As far as Christ is the core, the foundation. So we, we must be all about Jesus Christ. We must preach Christ. We must exalt Christ. We must give Christ all the glory. For, for, for he is the one who is, who was, and is to come. He is our all in all. As we were able to see a few weeks ago, he is our everything. Jesus Christ being the cornerstone means that we must be all about him. A church that does not lift up the Lord Jesus Christ is not a church of Christ. If you listen to any sermon... It's been famously said, ask yourself, who is the someone about? Is the someone about you or is the someone about Christ? And you will know a church of Christ where Christ is exalted, where Christ is glorified, where Christ is at the epicenter of everything that is done in that church. Because he is the cornerstone. Now the apostle continues and says there in verse 21, look with me there, in whom the whole structure in Christ being joined together 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now it is communicated to us here that it is not only that Christ grants stability, you know, that cornerstone grants stability to the household. It is not only that Christ grants direction to the household, even more it is that union with him, Christ, the cornerstone, grants growth. Union with the Lord Jesus Christ grants growth in him. The household becomes a complete house, as it were. And so we read there, it is in him that the whole structure being joined together, it grows into a holy temple. So Christ grants stability to us as his church and Christ grants growth to us as his church. So we become complete in him. The, the household becomes what it should be insofar as Christ is the core because he's the one that grants growth. It is in him that the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And then the metaphor, the metaphor that the Apostle Paul has been using all along now comes to bear. Um, because we realize that the foundation is Christ and in him we, we believers, we who have put our trust in him, uh, we, we grow up into what the Apostle Paul calls there the the temple, a holy temple. And, and then this, is, this is a living building consisting of living stones, which has the cornerstone, has the foundation as the apostles and the prophets. We have the cornerstone as the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we are the living stones. And, and then when each living stone is, is doing what it should do, um, uh, when each living stone is making its contribution, um, the building grows together. You see those words there? It says, in whom the whole structure being joined together. There's that aspect of togetherness, fellowship, as we were seeing in the morning. So that we, when we are joined together, when we are in fellowship with Christ and his people, then the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. And so as the people of God, we have to be together. We, we have to be in Christ and therefore being the people of God. And we also have to be together. We also have to work together. We, we also have to do the one another rings. That's, the text, that, that's what the text tells us there. In whom the whole structure, the whole structure is us, his household. When we are joined together, we become a holy temple in the Lord. Thirdly and lastly, the church is the household of God and it's being preserved by God in Christ. And it's being preserved by God in Christ insofar as God is preserving us in Christ. We realize that when Christ comes back, he's going to come back for his church. He's going to come back for his people, his bride. And so there's a sense in which the Bible tells us that God is going to preserve us as his people. And look with me there at verse 22, that last verse. In him, you also are being built together. You see that language again, language of togetherness. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this is a very comforting truth for the Christian. In Christ, God is preserving his household. He is preserving it by building it up. See when he says there, you are also, uh, you also are being built together. That's the preserving work of God in his household. He is preserving his church by building it up. Please notice there um, that, 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 that there is nothing like a lone ranger Christian. There's nothing like that. There's nothing like a lone ranger Christian in the mind of the Apostle Paul. And if there is, we can be sure that in the mind of God, who is the inspirer of the penmanship of the Apostle Paul, there is none. There's no lone ranger Christian. Do not be deceived by anyone and do not deceive yourself. 
that you can be a lone ranger Christian. God's plan is for Christians to be together for all eternity. And even, even, even here on earth, we are to walk together in fellowship, in communion with Him and communion with each other. That verse tells us, in Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. God is building his people, he's building his church as he builds you, he's building your fellow Christian. So you and I ought to have this mentality of togetherness as the people of God because you have been saved by one Lord, one Savior, one Father. We are we, we've been we have one baptism been saved in one spirit and and where is the apostle paul going to argue these things where in the bible it's in this same book we'll get there in chapter four and and and, and you see how the message that he's communicating is consistent i think i think we will we'll get there <clears throat> Yeah, but, but, but then there, there's nothing like a lone ranger Christian. Um, we are to walk together as one. As we have communion with God, we are to have communion with one another. And this is how we would be built up. We'll be built together into a dwelling place for God. If you're a Christian here, you're being built up together with others. You're not only being built up by yourself. And that's why we have to insist on your faithful uh, attendance to the means of grace fellowship being part of the means of grace and so Christians are being built up together in the closest possible association with other Christians through active fellowship through active fellowship and therefore the church will not will, will not be finished until the day of the consummation of all things the, the church cannot can never come to an end it will continue until Christ comes back. The church will, in the end, be perfect. When God has finished his work of building up the church into a dwelling place for, for himself, the church will be perfect. It will be perfect. And this is what God is doing in Christ through his spirit. God is cleansing the church day after day. You are being cleansed. You're being sanctified day after day. God is transforming us by the renewing of our minds day after day. And the reason God is doing this is simply because of the fact of the text. It tells us that in Him, you also are being built together. God is doing the work, sanctifying us, transforming us, cleansing us day after day. Um, he's doing this through His Holy Spirit. We are becoming that habitation for God, not only one by one, but also together in Christ. A dwelling place for God. You see that phrase there, dwelling place for God? Indicates permanence. That, that God, is, God is continuously making us His. He's building us up. It indicates close fellowship. Close fellowship with God as we are having close fellowship with one another. Protection from God being his dwelling place. Love from God because we are his dwelling place. Now, as, I, as I bring this to a close, I'd like you to notice the Trinitarian nature of, of, of um, salvation as we have continued to see it and the Trinitarian nature of preservation. Look at that verse again. And tell me if you don't see the Trinity. In Him, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. And that's a reference to the Father. By the Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. God has not only chosen a people for themselves, saved them through Christ, uh, regenerated them by the Holy Spirit. God is also preserving us, building us up um, as a Trinity. It is in Christ 
that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God the Father by the working of God the Holy Spirit. And so you see, you see the, the, the truth there that God is at work. God does not save the Christian and then tell, tells the Christian, go and sin no more. Where God tells the Christian, go and sin no more, he's there to guide him, to watch over him, to build him up, because he is part of the household. This household which has Christ as the cornerstone. And so then when God tells you, go and sin no more, he tells you, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because I'm the one working in you. For he is the one working in you, both to will and to do, according to his, go- his good pleasure. Now, the church universal and uh, glorious is here in view. That God is going to build up his church. So as, as the apostle finishes up this section, he's saying, the church is going to prevail because the church is the household of God. And the church is going to prevail because the church has God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Because it is in God the Son that the church is being built up into a dwelling place for God the Father through God the Holy Spirit. And so the church is going to be preserved to the end. And that's the point that we're making there, that the church is the household of God and it's being preserved by God in Christ. In Christ, the Apostle Paul is bringing this thought home that the people of God gathered out of all the nations, Jews and Gentiles, are one in Christ. Now, is a text that I had wanted to bring up before I give you the applications. Look at chapter 4, verse, verse 11 forward. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you you, you hear the same language. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, listen to that language, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so you, you hear the same language there, that the church of God is being built up by God um, so that each part is working properly. And you hear that language of fellowship, togetherness, so that we are all headed in one direction to eternal glory. Applications for you. Are four applications. Number one, align yourself with Christ, who is the cornerstone. Align yourself with Christ, who is the cornerstone. Consider with me how your life looks like. Because you're a Christian, if you are here this uh, uh, this afternoon. Is your life aligned with Christ, who is the cornerstone? As the living stone, are you growing up into Christ? Which is the language that we have there in chapter 4. We are to grow up in the knowledge of Christ. Are you, are you aligned to Him? Being now being members of the household of God? no longer strangers or aliens, fellow citizens with the saints? 
Can you truly say that I am? I am a saint. I am following Christ. I'm in Him. I put my trust and faith in Him. And my life is aligned to Him. I'd like to encourage you to align yourself with Christ. You who name His name. Number two, always remember that God is going to keep you. Always remember that God is going to keep you. He's going to sustain you. Never despair. Do not despair because you have Christ, the Redeemer. You have the Father, the one who orchestrates salvation. And you have the Spirit, the one who regenerates. You have God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because you have Him, do not despair. Always remember that God is going to keep you. Because you're being built together into a dwelling place. Because you're in Christ. And so far as Christ is yours. So let, let this encourage you to continue on with the journey. To continue living for Christ. To continue following Him. And to continue abiding in Him who is the true vine as we read in our public reading this morning. Number three. Strive to be in Christ. If you're not in Christ here this afternoon, strive to be in Him. Christ is ours. Christ has been given to the world. He did not come to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Strive to be in Christ. And, and, and I'm saying strive to be in Christ deliberately because people strive to go to church, right? People strive to do good things. People strive that that their children are baptized so that they are born in Christian families. Strive to be in Christ because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that is the cornerstone. He is that stone that the builders rejected. He is the one from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. He's the one that grants salvation. If you're going to be saved, if you're going to get eternal life, strive. Strive to be in Christ. Then lastly, number four, we must preach Christ. We must preach Christ. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. If Christ is the foundation, if Christ is the core, if Christ is our everything, if Christ is our all in all, we must preach Him. If Christ is the one who came, lived the perfect life, died upon the cross, rose again, is seated in the heavenly places at uh, uh, His Father's right hand, then we must preach Him. We must be all about Him. In your conversations with your friends, you must proclaim Christ to them. Your family members, you must tell them about Christ. If you're going to be the household of Christ, we must proclaim Christ. We must be known as a people for Christ, by Christ. We must proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. We must tell others about him. If we are to be his. Consider these things. May the Lord bless you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because of your mercies. Were it not for your intervention, where would we be now? And the true answer is that we, we would be in hell. We would, we would be dead in our trespasses and we would eventually perish forever. But we thank you that you, you chose us. We thank you that you gave us the mediator. And you gave us your spirit who awakens, regenerates the dead soul. Lord, we pray that you may help us 
Help us to align ourselves with Christ, those of us that are Christians. Help us to be encouraged that you are going to keep us, to sustain us till the end. Because you're the one who saved us. And you will do this in Christ, building us up together into a dwelling place for yourself. Lord, we pray for those that may, <clears throat> that may not know Christ here. And, and, and those that may come across this message that are not Christians, that you would be merciful to save them through Christ. Lord, we pray that you may help us to be a missional church, a church that is constantly thinking about those who are lost, constantly going out, evangelizing. Grant, O oh Lord, that you would be glorified in our midst. Help us with these things, Lord. Grant that we would be a true household of God, not by our own imaginations, but by abiding with the word that you have given us. Hear us, Lord, and answer us, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.